Hello and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. I'm Sarah Muir. I'm back on the podcast. Thank you very much, Ben Allen, for looking after things last week. And I'm joined, as always, by Coots CIO, Alan Higgins. Each week on the podcast, we look at the three things investors need to know. Now, that might be for the week ahead, but we also look at perhaps longer term trends as well. Um, now, of course, um, as Ben mentioned last week when he was introducing the podcast, we're very aware of events in the Middle East right now. Now, we're not going to be covering the geopolitics. Um, we're going to leave that to others who are much better qualified than than us to talk about those things. But what we will be looking at, one of the things we're going to be looking at today, we'll be reflecting on perhaps how geopolitics impacts markets or perhaps doesn't impact markets, but that's one of the things we're going to be talking about. But obviously, you know, it's very much at the forefront of all our minds at the moment, what's happening in the Middle East. Um, so, Alan, be- before we get to the three things we need to know this week, a little bit of a catch up, because obviously I did listen to last week's podcast and it was very good. Uh, ben was excellent, as always. Um, but a couple of things to pick up on. Now, first of all, you, I know, I know, I looked on your Instagram feed and you were in Marseille um, over the weekend. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, Watching the rugby, uh, clearly. Mm. And yeah, I I rarely use Instagram. Usually it's just fishing or cars, but I thought in Marseille. I think because I I posted four years ago when I was in Japan, very lucky. But, you know, as always, I find it investing. Well, uh, firstly, um, Mm. another triumph for hope over experience, (laughs) Wales lost. And converting that to investments, um, you know, experiences as equities work in the long run. Hey, so stop hoping for corrections. But I was so impressed with how many Argentinian fans were there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a country in economic crisis. The pace is down 70% from 18 months ago. Mm. I know there is, you know, a, a wealthy, a wealthy part of Argentina, of course, like, like any country in the world. Mm. And I guess, there's a decent expat community, but fair play. The Argentinian fans were fantastic. They yeah. were absolutely fantastic for those listening in. And they they were so noisy. And in a way, you know, if we're going to lose to anyone, it's better to be Argentina. And, uh, you know, they've got their work cut out in the next round, though. But you, you had a nice holiday. I also had a very nice holiday. I think I was down in Cornwall. Body, uh, bodyboarding. I can't surf because I've got wobbly ankles. So I was bodyboarding, which was extremely nice. That's my way of tuning out and just chilling that's what i do we're going to talk about chilling a little bit later on aren't we from from an investment point of view Uh, Um, it was what's the water like uh, temperature wise it it was actually quite warm i mean you you have a wetsuit but it was uh i mean the the out the outdoor temperature was about 20 degrees so it was actually very comfortable not sunny but that doesn't matter you don't need sun for bodyboarding and we just need some decent waves um okay but before we get to the three things we've got a couple of little things we've got a little bit of data which we're kind of just going to cover very sort of high level aren't we because obviously not everybody listens to the podcast the day it comes out and some people perhaps are a little bit late catching up with things but we've got um we've got some sort of uk data we've got wage growth was in line with expectations it's the rate at which wages are growing is slightly sort of slower which I guess suggests that we, well, I don't know, I did see something that we may not see any more rate rises this year from the Bank of England, but it does mean that potentially we could stay with peak rates quite far into 2024. Could do. That's what the Bank of England is indicating, isn't it? And you're quite right. But you may recall over the last several months, wages, wage growth was much worse. 
Worse mm. for the financial markets means higher than expected. And a good indicator is two-year swaps. It's a good indicator, obviously, for the mortgage market. Two-year swaps peaked at six and a quarter, down at mm. five and a quarter now. Same level as base rates. So the market is moving towards no change in rates. You can see that. Also, we had US CPI. Yes. In line, no real surprises. It has edged up naturally with oil to 3.7%. Mm. But mm. Um, yeah, data in line, which probably leads to our first point. Yeah. So what is our first point, Alan? I would say calm financial markets. But um, yes. before you switch off, we will try <laughs> to give you some interesting facts and figures. So calm financial markets, one. Mm. Why? Because, as you mentioned at the start, we have got a, a serious geopolitical event, event going on. Two, um, last week I did the bear case for equities. Mm-hmm. I was at the Ruffer conference. Yeah. And they, are, they articulated uh, very eloquently a bear case for equities. Um, and amongst others, uh, by the way, uh, and it's common. So this week we're going to do a bull case for equities. By the way, okay. once again, it was very hard to find someone yeah. uh, to do the bull case for equities, but we'll come to that. And then finally, this is this is out of the States. Tea bill and chill, or just bill and mm. chill. Okay. And you saw an, you read an article, didn't you? I I did. I've I've just been reading it actually in the FT. It was from sort of a, about a week ago, I think. But yes, this. Well, well I don't want to. I don't want to preempt what you're going to say. So perhaps we'll we'll leave that. But okay, it's an interesting fine. concept. But let's kick off then with. I mean, as you say, we you know we're all kind of transfixed by events in the Middle East, and and obviously it's a story that's still unfolding. Um, but I think what's been interesting putting that to one side and putting our sort of financial hats on, what's been interesting for me is it seems to be the lack of response from, from markets to what is, you know, the tragic events in, in Israel and Palestine. Yeah, you're quite right. And people have heard it before because ordinarily we've got a list, um, some investment banks have done this and, and uh, Joe from our in-house team has done this, going back over... 50 odd years at geopolitical events, what normally happens on average, the market, this is US equities, falls six or 7%. That's what normally mm. happens. As we speak today, the market's up about one and a half percent. So um, nothing seems to have happened. What I would say during that period, we've had some pretty decent bank earnings, including right, Bank yeah. of America as we speak. And Bank of America was a bit of a worry bank. It's got a bit of a long bond portfolio. Um, and of course, people have memories of Silicon Valley Bank. So uh, it's been a real underperformer. People have worried about their bond portfolio, but you know, strong earnings. Of course, JP Morgan, amazing results. Um, so that's helped. I mean, gold has clicked up. I I, I do wonder if it's going to link into the what we're going to what we're going to talk about in terms of the bullish bullish stance. Generally, uh, people are bearish out there, and therefore. Yeah. Just in my experience, markets don't move to benefit the majority, generally. It's rare. And if you yeah. think that through, yeah, that makes sense because surely everyone can't be winners. You know, so the yeah. only time I've, I've seen it that I've been on consensus and pretty much everyone else has been on consensus, which actually 1999 leading to the 2000 crash, lots of people saw that coming, even me. As I've said before, I didn't see 08, 09 coming. I saw that coming, but lots of people saw that coming. That was so extreme, that overvaluation, that, um, you know, the consensus was right there. There was very few tech balls at the top. Um, Mm. So the consensus, 
if you like institutional investor like me and others got it right but otherwise it's pretty rare i can't think of many other times where the consensus is right okay so are we saying and obviously we're not saying that there couldn't be uh you know a, a fall in markets if things escalate in the middle east but are we saying at the moment then the US markets are reasonably resilient because we were already perhaps not quite peak pessimism, but getting there. And also perhaps there was a bit more focus on earnings season, which obviously we will be having Howard Sparks coming on to one of our upcoming episodes to talk about earnings season. But is was that very much where people were focused rather than politics? As we know, Sarah, um, the beauty of our business, we have theories, no proof. So, you know, we're giving some theories here. Um, I like to think after 35 years of doing this, some pretty good theories, but hey, I've been spectacularly wrong in the past. So these are theories. and But it is worth reminding the um, the investment bank and Joe study, because we don't know what's going to happen. On average, markets fall 6 or 7%, yeah. sometimes more, sometimes less. So far, not at all. But 12 months late, what should you do? I think people now know this. What you should do is, of course, buy into it. Uh, 12 months yeah. later, the market's up 12 to 13%. So it tends to be a very, very good entry point. Of course, people are very, very scared then. Not many people do. But yeah. that's what the data shows. Of it, does it work every time? Of course not. Nothing works every time. No. But it's it's, it's pretty. It's one of the more reliable ones. I, I, you know, maybe this research has become a bit more well-known. You know, I don't know, Sarah, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye on the situation. I'll obviously yeah. cover it. I did see related to that. I did see a very good quote from Warren Buffett. The stock market is the device to transfer money from the impatient to the patient. And I guess what you're saying is you need to be patient and 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 also hold your nerve a little bit. Actually, we're going to be talking about investor psychology. We've got a special episode coming up on investor psychology as well. So this is all tying in very nicely. OK, so um, markets are resilient. And that's, you know, the history or research tells us that when we get these major geopolitical events and crises they do tend to fall uh, on average six to seven percent but within 12 months they have recovered but obviously you know just because it's happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen again and it can be much more and it can be much less and, and as we say we don't know why particularly u.s markets are resilient at the moment could be a number of factors certainly the fact that you know markets were already very bearish maybe one element and we're getting some positive earnings news coming out, particularly from banks. Okay, well, that that's so that's the bearish. Well, markets are bearish at the moment. Then, and you've been doing a bit of research into the bull case for equities, and you had to do a fair bit of digging around. But you did find one, didn't you? Yes, I did. So, um, interestingly, from Bank of America, and I say interestingly because. Their, their main head of investment strategy, Michael Hartnett, who we've mentioned before, superb, is actually very bearish on, on equities. Yeah. And, you know, well-argued case, similar to, I would argue, similar, maybe a bit less dramatic. So very bearish is pushing it, bearish on equities. Um, yeah. but similar to kind of arguments that we heard from Ruffer last week. But going to a, a different part of Bank of America, the head of basically US equity strategy, uh, Savita, how do you pronounce her surname, Sarah? Well, I was hoping you were going to tell me because you haven't. Subramanian. Subramanian. This is really <laughs> embarrassing because I have met her. She is superb. And yeah. by the way, I'm I'm not going to do this justice because she's written a. I've got a. a oh God, it's an eighty pager. So it, it it's got more to it than just the, the bull case. 
And by the way, um, her bull case is 4,600 on the S&P 500, which is about okay. five percent away. Okay. okay. Um, but let, let, let me let me go through it. And, you know, basically what, three three points. Because what's her time frame for that? Or perhaps you should tell me that once you've given me her three points. Yeah, fair enough. Um, she's not very specific on the time frame, which I, which I respect. She's just saying, look, um, she's positive. <laughs> Uh, because I think saying 4,600 at year end doesn't help unless I've missed it. I, I didn't get that. To be honest, it's controversial enough these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but, but anyway, so if I go through her arguments, uh, firstly, um, very defensive allocations out there. Okay. Um, and um, evidence for that, of course, which I mentioned last week, was the Goldman Sachs survey of a 1,000 investors. We've just actually hot on the press had the Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey, which mm. also shows a lot of pessimism. So just again on that Goldman Sachs survey, why I liked it is that only one in four investors saw the S&P 500 higher than 4,500, which is only basically, sorry, 4,400. Um, it's only half a percent away. Um, okay. Three quarters saw it definitively lower, so the market definitively lower. Okay. Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey. So she says this pessimism, and I agree with her. Kind of what I just said. You know, the only time it's been right to be with the majority, in my experience, was nineteen ninety nine two thousand. So mm. she said this pessimism is a, is, a, is a contrarian bull signal. So I don't know. Would you see it that way? If, if I said, look, uh, institutional investors are bearish. Um, and and the Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey shows a preference for cash and low equity weights. What's your instinct? I guess my instinct would be. I spend too much time talking to you, Alan. That's the trouble. So I'm I'm a bit. My my kind of perspective is probably a little bit skewed now, but I guess I would be thinking now is potentially a good entry point because everybody else is pessimistic. And as you said, you know, markets tend to punish the majority, don't they? They certainly don't reward the majority. Um, but also balanced with that, I'm looking at going back to our first point. I'm looking at world events and seeing, you know, an increased uncertainty, um, and that is going to probably hold me back a little bit. Yeah, fair, fair. Sitting on the fence, I think that yeah, is actually. Okay, so I'll go through our other argument. So our other mm. argument is, um, and this has been used by. Rafa and many others, the equity risk premium, it, which is is too low. Yeah. So that's in essence the valuation of equities compared to bonds, and um, most people show the last twenty years on this, and it will look low compared to the last twenty years. She mm. goes back to nineteen forty five, and puts it in a longer term perspective. And she and then we, you, says, you're talking about what you get back from owning equities, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So there's mm. there's no clear definition on equity risk premium. Some okay. people look at current price earnings ratios. Mm -hmm. uh, what she's done is normalize the earnings a bit. So takes okay. take out, take out periods of of deep recessions and also above earnings growth. But the basic message is okay. Yeah, the equity risk premium is slim. If I put it in very conventional terms, a PE ratio of twenty. If you invert that, that's five percent. A five percent mm -hmm. earnings yield, so, so yeah. companies earning five percent versus a bond yield of a ten-year bond yield of four and a half, and cash obviously at five. Mm. 
or with, no, with, with little to no risk. Yeah, exactly. So conventional wisdom on that is they're saying, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, mm. equities are, are, are way too expensive. But however, what she points out, equities are a growth asset. And I'm with her because people who think that this is expensive, they need to go back to 1987, which we've met, we talked about in a previous. We have, yeah. Year, because uh, when we did the, the big the big short scare. So 1987, okay, a pr- there's also a price earnings ratio of 20, there or thereabouts. Mm. So yeah, equities looking a little bit expensive, but guess what bond yields were? Over 10. Yeah. So let's compare that again slowly. 10, it was actually 10 and a quarter, plays mm. a price earnings ratio of 20. Versus today, four and a half plays a price earnings ratio of 20. There's no mm. comparison. And by the way, that period, that whole period, say 85 to 90, was a great time to be investing in stocks, even going through the 87 stock mm. market crash. Next time, I promise, I'll get some hard data because because I'm talking to you on Zoom, I can't pull my Bloomberg up without crashing the, um, the Zoom. We don't well. want, so, we so, didn't want but that. I, I'll put, remind me to, uh, in the next chit-chat to give yes. you some data on that 85 to 90 period. So um, I'm with her on that. And and um, her other points, things, uh, two things I mentioned last week, actually, with Ben. Corporations are very long-term funded. So the interest rates aren't hurting as much. And the US consumer is very much a 30-year fixed person. Yes. Notes, rate notes like in 06, 07, which, uh, which hurt. And, and kind of that's that's it. And finally, the Magnificent Seven, she says, yeah, OK, Magnificent Seven is ridiculous. No, she doesn't say that. Magnificent Seven is expensive on many measure, measures. Take out the Magnificent Seven and the US market's fair market, fair value is cheap. And okay. she expects active to really bounce back. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I, I want to I'll cover it a bit more depth. I'd be a big proponent of taking the index but this extremeness of the magnificent seven mm. top seven actually the top seven includes Berkshire Hathaway in there call it the magnificent eight including Berkshire Hathaway it is it's, it's basically 30 percent of the index now so yeah. I'm, I'm I think I'm, I'm starting to lean towards active for the first time in a long time but let's not digress so, so those are our arguments and mm. You, no surprise, Sarah, coming from me. Where where do you think I would be in the rougher crash coming, or Michael Burry, or more with with Savita from? Uh, I, you're definitely you're definitely Team Savita. I am Team Savita, yeah, because stocks work in the long run, and I think she's done some really thorough research here. Mm. And, um, look, um, I, but I've been saying all along, yeah, could we have a ten percent correction? Yeah, of course we could. Or yeah. She goes into that as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, fi- fi- you know, f- saying, yeah, we could easily have a five or ten percent correction, um, but that's about it. So I'm with her on that. So anyway, at Team Savita. Okay, definitely. So we're saying then, or what? Or what? What Savita is is sort of identifying is that the people are perhaps very defensively positioned at the moment. Um, very, very sort of. The, there's a very strong sort of defensive sort of view on markets and that's a strong contrarian signal we're saying um that uh the risk premium is is low for for equities however they're a growth asset which you can't say about bonds um i just jump that, in there to, you hmm. sorry, I, her key point which i'm going to get us 
nothing that we haven't seen before. She actually, to be fair, she does some pretty good stats and quant to yeah. show that this level of risk premium is associated with positive equity returns, even right. over the next 12 months. So there's a bit more to it than just dismissing it, but um, we have to be brief here. Yeah. Okay. So, but interesting then, uh, but she, she's pretty much a lone voice at the moment. Is that fair to say? Or not many people no, banging her drum at the moment? The, the only, um, before Savita, the only other bull I could find was Thomas Lee. Yes. Um, from Fund Strategy, who's a well-known CNBC contributor, etc. Uh, which reminds me, I saw the CNBC uh, guys in, in Marseille. They will, yeah, we had a good investment discussion amongst other things. Um, yeah, it was randomly pumped into them. So, um, yeah, um, so, so there's, but there's not many. You're right, Sarah. Okay, all right, but but it's it, but for Savita's case would be that that's a strong that's a strong signal. Um, sort of one of their arguments a, opposing. Think, yeah. I mean, and we're oversimplifying because we're we talking about eighty pages of research. Very, but, very good analysis here, but, but very interesting it's a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well then that that does lead us very nicely into your final point, which is this concept in America, this sort of strategy that some people seem to be getting on board with at the moment, which is T-bill and chill. What do we mean by that? It basically means invest in a T-bill in the US or in the, in, in the UK in cash and chill and earn 5%. And um, it's very seductive because 5% is high, especially... Um, for people who, you know, uh, have only been around the last 15 years or so. Mm. Uh, so it is very seductive and some pretty senior people have been talking about it, including, I think today in the FT, Mohamed El Arain, ex, um, yes. ex PIMCO. I heard, it, I heard he, him on Blue, he, I heard him on Bloomberg the other day because he was arguing that the bond markets had lost their anchor point, which I didn't quite understand. I'm hoping you might be able to explain that. Yeah, I mean, he... he well, he, he's he's basically he doesn't like bonds, um, mm. based on basically based on budget deficits to, to oversimplify, um, and the fact obviously there's less less value versus cash. He doesn't like equities, and so he's gone for this T bill and chill. Well, firstly, right. for our listeners in the UK, do not buy T bills. You buy short dated gilts. Go back two weeks to our in depth on short dated gilts. Yeah. Don't forget compliance mm. and tax warning at the end. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely not that. But look, um, I think it's completely wrong. And I was very pleased. I was at a, a Coots client dinner last week. Mm. And I happened to mention guilt, of course, in the context of myself talking about equities for the long run. And the client actually said, mm, that's dangerous advice because they're going to miss out on equity returns, which is obviously yeah. music to my ears. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen you, you've seen that the investment team provide you lots of information on this, haven't you, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this this idea that, well, I guess it's about timing and time in the market. That's one of the phrases that we use a lot. But it's also this idea that if you miss out, if you... Time out of the market means you're potentially missing out on those surges, which you're always talking about, and you're missing out on those good days. And you're missing out on, you know, you could potentially be missing out on some really good days. I mean, you're going to miss out on some of the bad days as well, but unfortunately we can't cherry pick the good, you know, to be there for the good days and not there for the bad days, can we? 
No, so, so the stats are, and to be fair, look, virtually everyone, Fidelity, I've seen Fidelity do it. I've seen virtually everyone in wealth do it. You miss the 10 best days over any reasonable time horizon. In most equity markets, then you return halves. That's it. Yeah. Um, but obviously those best 10 days are rare. And I think it's a really good stat. But I, I somehow I can tell, you know, when I talk to clients that they almost don't believe it. Their eyes glaze over. They can't remember a great day, a day when the market was up three, four, five percent. Yeah. So it tends to be less effective than we may think mm-hmm. in terms of making the case for equities. So, and I and it's it's something behavioral, but I what does seem to work? The human brain's good at working in calendar years. Yes. And so, um, do you remember my famous uh, Madoff research? Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. So I have. The I, I, I used that when I was speaking at a fraud event. Actually, you did. You did, didn't you? <laughs> so I have the Madoff returns. Well, the Madoff made up returns. So mm. the genius of Madoff was basically to have his um, uh, genius uh, in a very sad and, and criminal way mm. was to, to basically show his returns to be very steady, but only the same as equities, basically nine percent compound, yeah. but yeah. almost no volatility. Mm. Uh, rather than the 20, 30, 40s that the Citadels have have produced in individual years, uh, which we mentioned before. That's Ken Griffin. That's the guy from Dumb Money, remember? Yes, yes, yes. Probably the most incredible hedge fund, one of the most incredible hedge funds out there. Um, so um, alongside that, because people can relate to calendar years, when you look at, for example, US equities in terms of calendar years, about 30% of the time, the, the US market's down. So you look at that, okay. okay. So, you know, uh, you know, one in every three years, it's a little bit less, but, you know, roughly one in every three years, I'm going to lose money on US equities. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. But you told me, Alan, the average long term return is 9% compound. How does that happen? Well, yeah, guess what? 60% of the time, okay, maybe a bit less, 55% of the time, the market is up big. A so-called surge. My Alan Higgins trademark (laughs) surge in equities uh, fact. Um, you, you get you get a 20% plus return. Okay, not exactly 20. Again, let me look at the data. Sarah, do force me to come back next week to be more precise on the data, but I want to get the, the main message across. The point being that an up 9% year or an up 0 to 10% year, what kind of a Madoff type return, they're rare. They happen once every 10 years. Yeah. So you have the, the nature of equity returns is down and surges. So what does that mean with, the danger of chill, chill and T-bill. No, I've got it wrong. Bill and chill, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, T-bill, T-bill and, and chill. chill. Yeah, thank you. Bill and chill. The danger is you're going to miss out on a 20% year. Yeah. You are going to miss a 20%. If you miss it out on a 20% plus year, and, and then people say, well, although people are less doubtful, you can then kind of point to the data and then remember, oh, hey, I do remember that being a good year. Wow, was it really a 30% year? And then that focuses their attention if you miss out on that you you've got no chance of compounding so absolutely i am against now don't get me wrong cash management is cash management yes we don't offer financial uh planning advice another part of the disclaimer but long-term savings money especially if it's going to go down you know multiple generations or pensions on long term forget it don't miss out on a surge Mm. And also going back to what you were saying about about the um, about the research from Bank of America about the, the sort of the bull case, you could argue that now is possibly an attractive sort of entry point 
for markets if you're if you're kind of parking the magnificent seven um and by the time your t bills matured or your whatever your fixed term deposits matured then it may well be less attractive because all that money will have there'll be lots of people chasing equity markets potentially at that point if if interest rates have come down yeah exactly so um yeah, you, so an intuitive way to looking at it, it seems super unlikely, and I get it. But guess what? This is what happens: you make five percent on your T bills, mm. uh, but the market's up twenty. The equity market's up twenty, so you've made five, but you've missed out on fifteen. And mm. now what do you do? And and guess what? The market's up twenty, presumably because the recession was br- the well, the anticipated recession was very brief. Earnings are recovered. The market started looking forward. Uh, the U.S. equity market is displaying, you know, better characteristics in terms of less concentrated performance. Whatever it is, there'll be good news everywhere. Yeah, and that's when people invest. And and mm. so they shouldn't do. But look, it's tough. Time in the market's tough. You know, we have a tactical team here at Coots that that at the margin looks to do it, but only at the margin because it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Okay. And we we we're, we're going to come. As I say, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are going to be covering, we're going to be doing a special episode, which hopefully I don't think it'll be out, uh, it'll be out in the next sort of week or so um, on this subject of investor psychology and how difficult it is, even for institutional investors to remain sort of logical and rational when news headlines and markets and, and everything is kind of perhaps telling them they might be wrong. But I guess so it's fair to say then that, I mean, T-bill and chill is, you know, it seems like an attractive proposition when you're getting very good yield. Now, whether it's T-bills or, or gilts, it's an attractive proposition. It's offering good returns. But the risk is that you're out of the market. You potentially can uh, miss out on a surge in markets, of which you are a big fan and a, and a, you know, a strong advocate of. And um, and then also then you've got the risk that when you you're ready to go back into markets again because things are looking better, your entry point's less attractive. Exactly right, and that client um, happened to be in Marseille as well. I bumped into him there. <laughs> really? Everyone was in Marseille. The CNBC through <laughs> this client who said equities for the long run. It was like my dream. Uh, you know, the, the only thing the only thing that spoiled it was Wales losing again. Again, mm, but, uh, again, again. But it's well, saying, we're, with we're, Argentina. Okay. Well, we're, I mean, we're not saying we're not saying there isn't a place for gilts or or treasuries in 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 your sort of strategy. But it's probably more about money management than it is about a long term investment strategy. Exactly right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, thank you very much, Alan, for joining me this week. Uh, a reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute either investment or tax advice are accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change now don't forget to check out the podcast page on coots.com and of course subscribe via wherever you get your podcasts Um, as i said keep an ear out we've got a special episode where alan and i will be talking to um a colleague of ours called ed nottingham who's a behavioral psychologist and we're going to be talking about investor psychology um, which i think is especially at the moment with with everything that's going on in the world very very important um and of course you know listen last week to ben allen and you were touching a little bit on again what's been happening in markets and perhaps why we're not seeing that haven't seen that drawdown that perhaps we might have thought we would see with current events uh going on in the middle east um that's all for this week um until the next need to know bye for now 